You know, it's happening right now in the mountains of Afghanistan and in underground China and in Belizean citrus fields. It's happening right now up and down I-65 and Highway 280. It's happening in schools and in hospitals. It's happening in playgrounds and at ball fields. What is happening? Jesus is meeting with his people. Jesus is in hot pursuit of meeting with people right where they are. He is a savior who loves the world and longs for the world to know him. And so he is going after and he is pursuing those who are far from him. He is a savior who sees those who are hurting and he draws near to shepherd, to comfort, and to guide. That is what we see Jesus doing in Mark 16. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. And as we're turning there together as a faith family, um, we have so many new families in our church that I'm so grateful to God for. I don't know if I've ever really shared this story, at least in a while. Um, some of you may be wondering about this pulpit right here. I want you to know this is, was made specifically for me by our children's ministry. We had a bunch of kids who did a woodworking class uh, upstairs on Sunday nights, and they surprised me one Sunday night with this brand new pulpit, and that's what the story behind this is. You can't see it, but underneath the base, they put a Bible under there in which they were saying, everything that you preach must come from the Word of God. But I love the story of this, and this is one of God's, God's good gifts to me, and I don't know if I've ever shared that with some of you, but this is why I preach from this, this uh, pulpit right here, and I love it. Uh, we, as we saw back in Mark chapter 15, Jesus has been crucified. His body's been laid in Joseph's tomb. Three days later, Mark 16, Jesus comes back to life on Sunday morning. The women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, they show up to the tomb and find it empty. An angel tells them that Jesus is risen and to go tell the disciples and Peter. These three women, they go running from the tomb with excitement and fear to go tell the disciples what they've seen and heard. And as we unpacked a few weeks ago, this is how Mark's gospel ends. Now, if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the message that I preached on the brackets, okay? And, I, and it's like, the brackets? What are you talking about? If you weren't here, we took time to unpack the brackets at the end, uh, I'm sorry, at the beginning of verse 9, at the end of verse 20 of Mark 16. Now, uh, what we see here is that Mark 16, 9 through 20 may or may not have been written by Mark. Now, whether he wrote it or not, we can have confidence in what is written because it is confirmed in other parts of Scripture. And as we wrap up our study of Mark's gospel, we're going to be looking not only at the passages of Mark 16, but we're going to be cross-referencing them over into other New Testament passages that give us even greater clarity and detail that we don't see here in Mark's gospel. We saw last time how Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples what had happened at the empty tomb, and they didn't believe her. They did not believe what she was, what she was telling them about the empty tomb. Well, later that same day, we catch up with Jesus, and we see him walking alongside two disciples who are on their way to the town of Emmaus. And what we're going to see in Mark 16 is one of many resurrection appearances of Jesus. So look with me at Mark 16, beginning with verse 12. 
The scripture says, after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country. And they went and reported it to the rest who did not believe them either. Mark's gospel doesn't give us a tremendous amount of detail regarding this conversation on the Emmaus Road. But thankfully, Dr. Luke does. And so if you don't mind, turn with me over to the next book over to Luke 24. Luke 24. Uh, We're going to spend, Lord willing, a couple of weeks unpacking Luke 24. That's tethered to the end of Mark 16, verses 12 and 13. Because Luke 24 gives us even greater detail of the conversation that that is taking place between Jesus and these two disciples as they're on the road to Emmaus. And in Luke 24, beginning with verse 13, the scripture says this. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, What is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and in speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. He said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Luke 24 is so rich. We could spend months unpacking the treasures of all that it contains. Because this passage of scripture has so much that's going on. And what we're going to do is we're going to use Mark 16 as base camp in which we're going to explore out into Luke 24. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus walks alongside two of his disciples The conversation that he has with these two men would not only change their lives, but indeed change the entire world. What we see in the text is that Jesus shows himself as the pastor theologian who shepherds his people with the scriptures, which are pointing back to himself. So as we're going to take time to study this text, I want you to notice how Jesus, the pastor theologian, shepherds his people. I want you to see first that Jesus draws near to his people. He draws near to his people. These two disciples who were not of the original 12 disciples, but had followed Jesus with the 12 and many others, they're walking out in the countryside toward a village called Emmaus. 
And as they're walking, they're discussing and arguing as to what's happened over the last couple of days. And as they're walking with one another, as they're talking with one another, look at verse 15. Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Now, Jesus, who according to Mark 16, appeared in a different form. He now has a resurrected body, and yet they are, verse 16, prevented from recognizing him. God has prevented them from identifying that it's Jesus whom they're talking to. But they're going to recognize him here soon enough. But as for these two disciples, they're traveling by foot to a suburb of Jerusalem. They're struggling to make sense of what's happened over the past three days, and Jesus is right there in their midst. Now, this is a picture of the pastoral care of Jesus. He draws near to his people, especially when they're in the midst of great pain, uncertainty, fear, and dismay. For these two disciples, it's been a whirlwind of a weekend. They're wrestling with all that's happened In their doubt, they're struggling, and yet Jesus walks with them. What a gracious and patient Savior. He loves to walk with his people. As his people struggle with doubt, as his people struggle with fear, Jesus draws near, and he walks with us. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Now, the context of Matthew 18, when Jesus says this, is in the context of church discipline. That when a church has to go through the painful, and indeed it is a painful process of confronting a brother, confronting a sister who's living in sin, and we lovingly call them to repent and return to Christ and return to his people. That's a painful process. Jesus says that even in that moment, I'm going to be with you. When two or more are gathered in the midst of that process, I'm going to be there. And that's not happening here in Luke 24. There's no church discipline taking place here. And yet simultaneously, we see where Jesus is drawing near to his people. That when two of these men are gathered together, Jesus is there in their midst. And when you and I gather together under the banner, under the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he himself draws near to us. These two disciples have felt lost, they're hurting, they're struggling, and Jesus draws near. They're so overcome with grief and sadness that they stop walking The scripture says that they looked discouraged. Have you ever seen that look on someone's face before? Or you can read their emotions just right here. It's a combination of pain and confusion. It's a sense of just being gloom over what's happening in life. Well, as these two brothers are walking side by side, Jesus stops and asks them, what are y'all talking about? And they literally come to a stop. And the text says, that they looked discouraged. They were beaten up. These are two guys who were struggling. They'd given their lives to Christ. They'd given their lives to building his kingdom. And now they're getting all these reports that he, not only is he dead, but he's now alive. And they don't know what to do with this information. They're, they're blown away. They're just in the midst of great discouragements. Y'all, we're in a season right now as a community, as a nation, and as a world, where there is just great 
discouragement. We're exhausted. We're tired. We're frustrated. We're divided. Many just want to throw their hands up. And in this moment right here, Jesus draws near. He is the pastor theologian who draws near to his people to care for his people, even in the midst of their pain, even in the midst of your sorrow, even in the midst of your frustration, even in the midst of your doubts, even in the midst of your confusion, Jesus draws near. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. As those who are going through, going through pain and suffering, the Lord Jesus himself draws near to us. He's gracious and compassionate. He's the one who draws near to those who are hurting. He wraps his loving arms around those who are crushed. He is the Lord who loves those who are rejected. He accepts those who feel forgotten, left out, and ignored. A few years ago, I was at the summit for an appointment. And as I waited for my appointment, there was a man having a smoke break out on a bench. And so I went and approached him. And we began a conversation Turns out he's from the Middle East and he was Muslim and I began asking him questions about what he believed. Again, describing to me Allah, the God who is all-powerful and yet who is distant. And as I began to unpack the gospel with him, of God loves him so much that God sent his son into the world to die for him and he is loved by God and that God wants to have a personal relationship with him. His mean scowl turn soft. As I began to explain the, the nearness of Jesus, tears began streaming down his cheeks. Joy and hope started filling his eyes. As I began to explain the person of Jesus who draws near to us, the God-man who's interested in our lives, who comforts us in our pain. This was so overwhelming to him, he didn't have a category for it. It, it led to a rich conversation. He didn't come to know the Lord in that moment, but I could see how the Lord, even outwardly on his face, his countenance was changing as he saw and heard of the hope of Jesus, that he is the one who draws near to us in our pain and suffering. This is what's happening here. These two disciples are discouraged. They're in pain and they're suffering, and Jesus draws near. Maybe you're going through a season of pain and hardship. You're hurting deep and Inside, I say to you, Jesus draws near to you. He cares so deeply for you that as you walk through the season of pain, you're not alone. The Lord Himself draws near to His people. Look at verse 15. Jesus Himself came near, and He began to walk along, and I love this word, with them. With. As, as they're going through pain, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. When Moses is being called to go to Pharaoh, he's hesitating. Lord, will you go with me? You better believe it, Moses. I'll go with you. When Jesus, before he ascends back up into heaven, he gives the great commission, which we'll look at in a few weeks. And his final words, I will be with you. 
even to the end of the age. Hear me on this reality. The Lord Jesus is with you even when you do not feel him. The Lord Jesus is with you even when you do not feel him. This is where maturity takes place as believers is when we begin to grow in the understanding that we don't walk by feeling, we walk by faith. We are looking not to what is seen, but to what is unseen. The Lord is with these two disciples on the Emmaus road and they had no idea. Here is Jesus, the beloved Lord, who is drawing near to these guys and they had no idea that Christ was with them. And as you go throughout your life and as you go through your struggles that you go through, please understand, even though you may not feel the presence of Jesus, it does not mean that he is not with you. Do not trust your feelings. Trust what the scripture says. I will be with you. That indeed, by God's grace, Ephesians 1, you have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. That the Lord himself draws near and abides and lives with his people. And don't miss what the chief shepherd is doing here. These two sheep are wandering away from the flock. These two disciples are walking away from Jerusalem and from all the brotherhood. These two disciples are leaving town, and I love it. The shepherd is going after the sheep. I love this. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd who pursues and rescues his lost sheep. Jesus is pursuing them to bring them back to himself and to his people. This week, I was having a conversation with a family in our church who had a a child who walked away from the Lord and walked away from the church. And for a very long season, they experienced great pain and turmoil. They just struggled over the foolishness of their child. And as they were explaining to me just the pain of having to go through that, we rejoiced together how the Lord pursued that young man and how God brought him to repentance and he returned home broken, loved by his father, Restored back to the fellowship. It's a beautiful picture of the long suffering of parents that when a child goes away, when a child turns their back on the Lord, we're reminded that Jesus is still the one who will pursue them. Maybe you have a child or a grandchild who's making foolish decisions and they're walking away from Jesus please know that the Lord has not given up on them yet. I was talking with a mom a few weeks ago who was lamenting the challenge of this exact situation that she's feeling. And I reminded her, he may be running away, but he can't outrun the prayers of a mama. And no one can outrun the pursuit of Jesus. Here are these two disciples walking away and Jesus is going after them. He is pursuing them that he might bring them back to himself and to the flock. Are you hurting today? Are you doubting today? Are you thinking about walking away from the faith? Look unto Jesus. He is the one who pursues you. He is the one who will come after you. Well, Kenneth, how do I know this? 
I know that Jesus is pursuing you right here and now because you're here. You're hearing his word. Jesus is calling out to you through his word and through his messenger, I'm not giving up on you. I'm pursuing you. And I'm calling you back to myself. Oh, beloved, run to Jesus. Return to him. There's no sin you've committed that's so horrible that he can't forgive. There's no shame in your past that he can't cover with his blood. There's nothing hidden deep in your heart that he can't unveil and bring healing if you will bring it to him. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he does. He goes after the sheep who wander away. He's the pastor theologian who draws near to his people. The second thing I want you to see in the text is that Jesus counsels his people. I continually find the teaching of Jesus captivating. As I study his word, I'm kind of grieving as we're coming to the end of Mark because I'm like, oh man, I want to go back. There's so much I feel like we missed. But I'm I'm falling more in love with Jesus and the teachings that he is unveiling to us. He is the wisdom of God. And what's interesting is how often he will use questions to teach. Look at verse 17. He asks them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? Now, I I love this. Did Jesus know what they were talking about? (laughs) He knew. He knew exactly what they were talking about. So why is he asking the question? He's drawing them out. He's calling out what's happening in their hearts. He's using a question to pull them out to unveil the deeper layers of their heart. It's kind of like in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve go into hiding after they have sinned against the Lord. The scripture says, the Lord cried out, Adam, where are you? Now, did the Lord know where Adam was hiding behind the trees? Yes. He knew right where he was. Then why is he asking the question? He's drawing Adam out of hiding. He's calling out of darkness and bringing him out into the light. This is what Jesus does. He would regularly teach with questions. He's calling out what's happening in the hearts of people so that he might heal them with his gospel. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Jesus is the man who draws out the deep waters of understanding in the hearts of people. These guys didn't know that they were talking to Jesus, and yet he gently asks them a question to softly draw out what's happening in their hearts. Jesus is the wonderful counselor using questions to draw out the deep water and the purposes of Cleopas and this other disciple. He's a master teacher. We see this throughout the scriptures. In Matthew 16, we see where Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi and he asks them, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Later on in the chapter, he asks the question, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We see in Mark chapter 10, Jesus approaches blind Bartimaeus and says, what do you want me to do for you? We see it in Luke chapter five, where Jesus asks the Pharisees, is it easier to forgive someone of sin 
or to tell them to rise up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin on earth, he then turns to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and walk. And immediately he gets up and walks. We see this in John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the woman at the well and says, will you give me a drink? That question then initiates a conversation that begins to transform not only her heart, but an entire city with the gospel. We see it in John chapter 5, when Jesus goes to the lame man who's there at the pool of Bethesda and says, do you want to be healed? Jesus was frequently using questions to teach to draw people out of darkness and into the light of the gospel. Parents, as you shepherd your children, don't preach, don't yell, don't scream. Walk with them. Ask questions. Draw out what's happening in their hearts and then shepherd them back to Jesus and his people. When you have someone who's making foolish decisions, as much as you want to preach and scream and yell, take a walk, settle yourself. Walk with them. Ask questions. Draw out what's happening in their heart and then shepherd them back to the Lord. This is what Jesus is doing with these two men. He's walking with them. He's asking questions, drawing out what's going on deep in their hearts. This is a pastor theologian. He's shepherding his people. It's hard for me as a parent. It's hard for me as a preacher. I got lots of words to say. My kids don't need a preacher sometimes. They need a dad who will walk with them and ask good questions and shepherd them towards the Lord. So we see Jesus, the pastor theologian who draws near to his people. He counsels his people. And then thirdly, we see Jesus who displays his power to his people. Perplexed that Jesus is asking them what they're talking about, Cleopas asks Jesus a question. Verse 18, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? From Cleopas' perspective, everyone's talking about Jesus and what has happened that weekend. The death and resurrection was on the front cover of the Israeli Times. Jesus was trending on Jerusalem Twitter. Moms were talking about the death and resurrection on Facebook. A bunch of men were standing around the coffee pot at work talking about this moment. The city was full of hundreds of thousands of pilgrims who had come in for the Passover feast and everybody's talking about Jesus. I love how Jesus, you see a, a glimpse of his humor here? I, I love how he is so patient and gracious here. Verse 19, what things? <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? I love this. He's so gentle, but he's like, what? Tell me more about this. Here's what's great. Cleopas then launches into a summary of the gospel. Okay. How about you have an opportunity to preach the gospel of Jesus to Jesus? Can you imagine that moment? You're preaching to Jesus. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I hope I get it right. That's what's happening here. 
Here's a guy who's preaching to Jesus. But notice what he says. He lays out the gospel. What is the gospel? I put it in your notes. That Jesus lived a perfect and powerful life that we couldn't live. Cleopas responds to Jesus' question, verse 19. He says that things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. In this one sentence, Cleopas articulates the who and the what of Jesus. Let's start with the who. And he is Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. Now, a prophet in scripture typically had three functions. They had three jobs. They would foretell, they would foretell, and they would perform the miraculous. They would foretell, they would foretell, and they would perform the miraculous. They would foretell, okay? They would predict the future and say what was going to happen. They would then foretell. They would preach the word of God to the people of God. The third mark of a prophet is someone who would perform the miraculous. They would part the Red Sea. They'd make an axe head float. They'd call down fire from heaven. Well, Jesus is the true prophet of God who fulfills all three functions of a prophet. He foretold the future perfectly. He foretold the word of God by teaching with clarity and authority. And he performed miracles like multiplying food and walking on water and raising the dead and healing the sick. You see, Jesus was a prophet. We have the who. But then Cleopas describes the what of Jesus. It says he was powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. That word for powerful, it's similar to our English word for dynamite. Love this. The English word for dynamite here. Jesus had explosive power in his actions and in his words. Now he is the God who is powerful in his actions, but he's perfect in all of his ways. Let's not miss the sinlessness of Jesus, that he lived a perfect sinless life that you and I couldn't live. That indeed Hebrews 4, 15, that he was tempted in every way that you and I are, and yet he was without sin. That there is no sin in him, 1 John 3, 5. You see, Jesus lived that perfect and powerful life that you and I couldn't live. But the second part of the gospel we see here in the text is that Jesus died on the cross that we deserved. Cleopas goes on to say, verse 20, our chief priests and the leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Now this was shocking to the disciples. They were hoping that he was the one who would redeem Israel. They thought, man, this is the greater King David who's gonna crush Rome. I mean, this is the redeemer we've been longing for who's gonna be the one who takes over the world. This is the savior who's finally gonna put Israel back on the map. We finally have the one who's going to give us victory. But he dies on a cross? He experiences a death of a Roman slave? How is this possible? Why why is God allowing this great redeemer of Israel to die on the cross? Because it was through the cross a greater victory was accomplished. Something far better than earthly accolades. And having bigger territory lines on a map. You see, Jesus, through his death, accomplished a greater victory over his enemies. The greatest victory over sin, over death, over hell, and over Satan. All have been defeated through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
The cross looked like complete and utter defeat to the world. That the Romans were reveling. The Pharisees, they were rejoicing. Satan was laughing. But the Son of God is dead. But the cross is where God's wrath was satisfied. The cross is where God's love was displayed. The cross is where God's faithfulness is personified. The cross is where God's grace is made available to all. You see, the blood of Jesus is where all mankind goes to be forgiven and redeemed. You see, Jesus died the death you and I deserved. That it was my sin and your sin that deserves death. But Jesus at the cross steps in and takes our death for us. But that's not the end of the story. Indeed, Jesus rose again on the third day. And so we will live forever with him. The greatest miracle that the world has ever seen, the greatest comeback of all time, Jesus gets up out of the grave. That Christ Jesus is the one who, verses 22 through 24, defeats the grave. The tomb is empty. Jesus defeated death. And because the tomb is empty, all who believe and trust in him will live with him forever. This is what God provides for you in the gospel. And this is good news for people who are dying soon. See, not much longer until you and I take our last breath. And unless the Lord returns, we're going to be planted in the grounds where we're going to remain until the Lord returns. And unless the Lord returns, we're going to be in the ground a lot longer than we are alive in these brief temporary lives. So Kenneth, what do we do with that? Well, you do what Jesus tells you to do right here in the text. Look at what he says here in verse 25. How foolish and slow you are to believe. There it is, believe. All that the prophets have spoken. This is your impact point. This is what the text is driving us to respond with. Believe upon Jesus. This pastor, shepherd, who cares for you. Who's calling you to believe what the prophets said about the Messiah. To believe upon this king. What did he do? Verse 26. That he suffered and he's entering into his glory. And he went to the cross, and he rose again, offering eternal life to all who believe upon him. This is the power of God in the gospel. Are you running from Jesus? Are you turning away from the Lord? Are you walking away from his people? Hear me, he's pursuing you. He's coming after you. He will walk with you in your pain. He's drawing out what's in your heart. He's calling you to believe what the prophets have declared, that the Messiah has suffered for you. And he is the shepherd who comes after his people. He is the pastor theologian who shepherds you with his word and is calling you to himself and says, I'm going to be with you. I've done more funerals in the last three weeks than I probably have in the last three years. And over the last several weeks, I've stood next to graves. 
and I've read these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. The Lord Jesus is with you. And he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you. He'll be with you even to the end of the age. And so as you go through pain, as you go through struggle and trial in this life, as you wonder, am I going to get relief? The answer is yes. Look unto Jesus, your pastor, your shepherd theologian, who promises you're going to be with me even to the end of